Good morning, for those who don't know me, my name is Abraham Phillip. It's my pleasure to bring God's Word to you today. My wife and I, uh, yesterday evening, got back from New York, where we went to um, the homegoing celebration for my uncle, who went to be with the Lord, and we left Friday and came back yesterday, and this morning we woke up and felt like a truck had run over us, and almost thought of calling Pastor Billy and saying, hey, Pastor, I can't uh, come in this morning, but... I'm glad I didn't do that. Now, for those that don't know, Pastor Billy is sick with the flu, so would you please keep him in prayer that uh, God would uh, uh, heal him and strengthen him so that he can continue to be the shepherd for you that God has called him to be. But it is good to be home, and um, so I uh, hope that you will pray for me as I preach this message. You're, you're getting the last bit of whatever I have, so um, forgive me for stuttering or or losing my train of thought. <clears throat> but together with the Lord's help, we will get to the end. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, just last week, I was talking with a friend of mine at Ford. Uh, for all of those who, of you who are at GM who have escaped the cuts, praise God for you. But uh, uh, my friend Al um, had the 27 years um, in the company, and he was offered a, a voluntary separation package a couple of uh, months ago. And he looked at that uh, package, and he took it to his financial advisors, and they said, you know, you've got 27 years, three more years. You'll hit the magic 30 years, and that'll max out your pension, because he still gets a pension. And if you just stick out long enough, it'll actually be much better for you if you hold out. And so he went back and he said, hey, no, thanks, um, I'm going to stick around. Well, last week they called him into an office and gave him the slip nobody ever wants, that pink slip that uh, said, thank you for your service, have a nice day. Um, and so I saw Al walking in the hallway and said, uh, Al, how are you? And he said, um, Abe, you know, it, it's been a half a year since that voluntary separation package. And he said, I got 27 and a half years, and, but I got to say goodbye to it. But uh, I said, are you going to be okay? He said, yeah, I'm okay. I, you know, I, I saved and I, I, uh, I planned and I think I'll be okay. You know, if, you, if you're young and you're just starting life out, it's great. If you go to a financial planning analyst, they'll tell you, you should plan now for your retirement. If you're 60 and you're trying to retire at 65, you're too late. It's too late to save, but if you talk to a financial analyst, they'll tell you, do the best you can with what you have. Put away as much as you can. But it's better if you start in your 20s and your 30s. Store up stuff so that you can, in your golden years, when you're retired, you have something to fall back on, something to take care of you, something to keep the lifestyle that you have. But today, I want to take you to a, a different kind of financial analyst. I want to take you to the best financial analyst there is. His name is Jesus. You met him before? He's a fantastic financial analyst, and he's going to talk to us about some investments. And the things about Jesus, the thing about Jesus I love is that his investment advice, first of all, is free, and that's awesome. But second of all, it's extremely, extremely valuable. It's better than any financial analyst you can find. And if you're a CPA or a financial analyst, no knock on you. Praise God for you. But you just don't measure up to Jesus, you know? If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus has been continuing, and we've been looking at this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has been uh, preaching. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about this theme that Jesus has running, which he started at the end of the Beatitudes in chapter 5, where he told his disciples that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, the kingdom of God. 
And his disciples would have been shocked. People listening to that statement would have been shocked because in those days and in their time, the Pharisees were the, the best of the religious lot. They were pious. They were, they were, as far as they were concerned, as close to God as you could get. And so in their minds, you're thinking, Jesus, if the Pharisees are doing all of this stuff, aren't getting into heaven, what chance do we have? And Jesus has been unpacking that statement and helping us realize that it's not about the things that we do. It's not a list of things that we do or don't do. It's about the state of our heart. Two weeks ago, we looked at the hypocrites and how they give and how they pray and how they fast. And they're doing it so that they can receive the recognition from men. They can receive the applause of men. And Jesus says, if you're doing it for the applause of men, you've received your reward. And he said, don't be like that. Have a motivation that comes from a heart so full of thanksgiving for a God who loves you that you do it from a heart of thanksgiving to God and not for man. And this week, we dive a little deeper as Jesus zeroes into our hearts a little deeper, looking at our motives a little bit stronger as we look at verses 19 to 24. And Jesus tells us that our heart's pursuit displays our eternal destination. Our heart's pursuit displays our eternal destination. We live in a very affluent society. We are richer in this country than many of the countries combined. We're so rich and we're so materialistic that we want to buy and we want to hoard and we want to accumulate stuff. And our houses aren't big enough for the stuff we have. So we've got to rent a locker or a mini storage space so we can stuff more stuff into that locker. Because we want to buy stuff and store stuff and have stuff to have more stuff. I hope you're getting the stuff. It's no longer about what we need, is it? It's about what makes us feel good and makes us all warm and fuzzy inside. And at the end of every year, my wife and I and the kids, we go through the closet, we go through the house, picking up stuff that no longer fit or no longer want. Most of the time, we're picking up stuff and going, I bought this for a reason. What was it for? I haven't any idea. It was important at the time I bought it. But I have no idea why. And into the donation bag it goes, and off it goes. Somebody else is going to use it, praise God. But we buy stuff, and we buy stuff, and we accumulate stuff. And all the while, we're never sure 5, 10, 20, 100 years from now, why did I buy that? The things we thought were so important when we were younger are not so important for us today, are they? The pursuit of our heart displays our eternal destination. Have you found Matthew chapter 6 yet? Starting in verse 19, Jesus gives us three perspectives, three directives on how we can ensure that our hearts are pointed in the right direction, investing in what really matters. And the first directive is that we must store up eternal treasure. We must store up eternal treasure. Starting in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In each of these sections we're going to look at today, Jesus is going to give us a choice. Each time he's giving us a choice, we must choose. Not choosing is not an option. By not choosing, we are actually choosing and here he gives us the choice. Are you going to store up your treasures here on earth? 
or are you going to store up treasures in heaven? That's the choice. And Jesus says, do not store up or do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. We're accumulating things. We're buying things. We're storing up things because in that greed of having more stuff, we buy and we accumulate and we hoard. Jesus actually here is giving us a command. And the command could, we could actually retranslate this statement to say, stop storing up treasures on earth. Because when we're accumulating stuff, we do it at the expense of looking at our at the people around us who are hurting, looking at all the people who are in desperate straits and not thinking about them. We're thinking about us and, and our selfish greed in our attempt to grab more stuff. Now, let me just be clear. God is not telling us that it's wrong to have stuff. Jesus isn't accusing us or condemning us because we have a car or a house or possessions or clothes or shoes or whatever else you have. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that can't be our focus. Because why? He gives us three reasons why it's not so nice to store up stuff in, in, on the earth. He says it can deteriorate, it can rust, or it can be stolen. You know, in the first century, they didn't have banks. So if you want, had valuables, you stored them in your house. But the houses were made of mud brick. So if a thief wanted to steal your stuff, he'd just dig through the walls of your house, grab the stuff, and run. And yet... Gee, they had the same problem we have today. And Jesus says, tells them the same thing he tells us today. Stop storing up for yourself treasure on earth. Why? Because the human heart hasn't changed. But of course, today things are different, right? We have banks, right? We have stocks and bonds and 401ks and annuities. And, and things are really safe. You know, it's all FDIC approved and guaranteed. Nothing will ever happen to our stuff. Right? No. Isn't it interesting, just one little thing, and it all can go away. Your nest egg can be scrambled eggs overnight, right? And Jesus says, stop. This limited temporal time period that you and I have, because we don't know when we're going to be leaving this earth, stop storing up for yourself treasure on earth. And the contrast is start saving up for yourself treasure in heaven. You know, I, before I go there, do you notice Jesus doesn't use the word money here? He doesn't say, do not lay up for yourselves money on earth. He says, treasure. Why does he use the word treasure? Because the word treasure is much broader and encompasses much more than just money. Because it's not just about money. It's about where your heart is. It's more than just money. When I was in Germany, I had a guy who worked for me who lived in northern Cologne. That's where we worked. But every weekend, he would drive 240 miles south to a city called Stuttgart. Every Friday after work, he'd leave. He'd spend Friday night there, Saturday night there, and Sunday, sometime during the day, he would come back, back the 240 miles. It would take him four, four and a half hours each way. Three years that I knew him, he did that. I knew him four years, but three of those four years, he did that. One day I just asked him, why are you doing this? Why are you spending almost eight hours of your life, nine hours of your life, 500 miles round trip? Why are you doing that every weekend? Do you know why? His girlfriend lived in Stuttgart. And for him, it was nothing to make that sacrifice every weekend. 
to drive 240 miles south to see her and to spend time with her and get to know her and then drive 240 miles back up north. 500 miles round trip. Why? Because his treasure was in Stuttgart. That's where his heart was. And as a result, like a magnet, he was drawn south. And it didn't matter what it cost him. He was going to spend his time and his money and his effort for his girlfriend. And that stopped when he married her and brought her up to Cologne. But that's a different story. Where's your heart? What is it that draws you? What's the magnet for you? Perhaps it's your house. You've got a nice house and you wallpaper and you paint it. You hang up windows and, and, and paintings and more paintings and, and clean it and furnish it and furnish it again and it becomes your treasure. Perhaps it's your car. You know that 64 Mustang that you have in the garage that you're fixing up. By the way, if you want to get rid of it, I'm willing to barter. It can be your treasure. Perhaps it's your family. You know, as a parent, can I just humbly and and, and gently just say, parents, we can make our children our treasure, can't we? Where we pour all of our hopes and all of our dreams and all of our ambition and all of everything and our energy into our children, and it creates a selfish and narcissistic society. Jesus says, stop it. This is temporal. It doesn't last. There's moths and rust and thieves here. In contrast, he says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. There is no moth. There, are, there is no rust. It's theft-proof, moth-free, corrosion-resistant. And what does that look like? What does laying up treasure look like in heaven? Well, if you flip over your Bibles to the parallel passage in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says it this way, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What he's saying is in this segment of life, which isn't very much, Let's spend the time helping those in need, helping those who don't have as much as we do, helping those who have uh, difficulty. Even a cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus will have an eternal reward. Do you believe that? What do we see as being most important in our lives? I remember when I was in Germany watching the news of the Houston flooding that was occurring. I remember a newscaster interviewing a man who was holding his son. They had just been airlifted by helicopter out of the flooding area and and into safety. And he was telling the reporter how he had lost everything. He'd lost his house. He'd lost his car. He'd lost his clothes. Everything he had is gone. But he was so happy that he and his son were safe. Isn't it interesting how a little perspective can change everything when you're staring death in the face, when your health all of a sudden takes a turn for the worse. How all the stuff that we've accumulated no longer has the same worth anymore. All of a sudden our minds are turned to what's more important in our lives and what God has been telling us. Where's your heart today? You have a choice to make. Are we going to spend our life accumulating everything under the sun? Or are we going to invest in people and invest in the lives of others because that's what God says is going to bear eternal rewards that never fades and never can be corrupted and for eternity. Jesus reminds us that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is and our heart's pursuit displays our eternal destination.
Secondly, Jesus says, fix your sight on eternal glory. Fix your sight on eternal glory. Verse 22, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Here again, Jesus gives us two choices. Either we're going to choose to be full of light or we're going to be full of darkness. And Jesus says here, if your eye, your eye is the lamp of the body, he's using the eye as an analogy, as a window between what's going on on the inside and what's going on on the outside. And he says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. He's using the word healthy there, and healthy can mean singular or focused. Perhaps you are like me and you're colorblind. I'm not very colorblind, I'm sort of colorblind. Like, you can't see all the color that's going on up here. Like, in a, in a month or so, spring is going to just explode flowers into bloom with color, and, and it's vivid, and you're not going to be able, perhaps, to see all of it as God intended. That's okay. We can still survive, right? But perhaps you forgot your glasses today, and you're nearsighted. You're not quite sure who's up on stage. You know, maybe that's Billy. Maybe that's Abe. I'm not really sure right? Thank God for glasses, right? Because once you put your glasses on, you can see crystal clear. I hope you can. Or you've got your contacts and it's correcting some vision issue, right? And it helps you see and be focused. And Jesus says, if your eye is focused, singular, your whole body will be full of light. But that word healthy can mean something else. The word healthy can also mean generous, in fact, the plural form of this word is often translated generous. And so Jesus says, if your eye is generous. Isn't it interesting that Jesus just adds to what he's already said? That he's given us all of this, these resources, he's given us all this stuff, he's given us all these treasures, and what's it for? It's not primarily for us, it's so that we can be generous with the people around us. Not talking Christmas and gifts, talking about giving to those who are in need. Jesus said, if your eye is singular and focused and generous, your whole body will be full of light. And what's interesting is the contrast he gives us is the word bad, evil. Like you're giving the evil eye or the stink eye, right? Your parents gave you that, eye, that look, right? That evil look. But that's not quite what he means here when he says bad eye. That word bad here can actually mean stingy or miserly. It's an eye that belongs to a person who is jealous at heart in contrast to being generous of spirit. And a person like that who is stingy, who is miserly, who is unwilling to give, Jesus says that person is full of darkness. What will you choose? The truth is that every single one of us in this room, when we were born, we were full of darkness. And the truth is we were blind. We couldn't see. And the only answer for every one of us was Jesus. When he came into the world as the light of the world, he came in and he paid the ultimate price by dying on a cross for your sins and mine so that those of us who believe in him, our eyes could be opened and our lives could be filled with the light of the glory of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Every one of us was born that way until Jesus intercepted our life and He interrupted us in our life. 
And when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, He opened our eyes and He gave us a heart that should be generous. Can I ask you, how generous was Jesus? How much of Himself did He give us? You don't know? I've got a mic, I've got a mic here somewhere. He gave us everything, didn't He? He gave us everything. There's not a part of Him He kept behind. For you and me who are children of God, He expects us to do the same. How generous are we with what God has given us? Are we full of darkness? Or is the light of God bursting through us as we are generous with the tools He's given us? How is our eyesight today? I was talking with Pastor Billy this week, and I know that you're all generous people because he said that he is so grateful for all of you. <clears throat> There's a, an expansion that we're going to build, right? Next week is a groundbreaking ceremony. And all of you have given above and beyond your normal giving to raise over a million dollars toward that expansion. Praise God. It's going to be exciting to see what God is going to do with that expansion because it's not about the building, is it? It's about the people that are going to fill that space. It's going to be about all of you and how you're going to impact the neighborhoods and your communities with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Being generous with our time and our resources so that people's lives can be impacted with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Our heart's pursuit displays our eternal destination. Thirdly, Jesus says, follow the eternal master. Follow the eternal master. Verse number 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so Jesus gives us a choice here of our allegiance. Who are we going to choose? Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve money? It's our choice. If you looked at your life, what would your life say that you are worshiping? No one, Jesus says, can serve two masters. It, it's impossible. It can't be done. We can kid ourselves. We can lie to ourselves that, yes, we're a child of God, but we like stuff. And we like money, and we want to accumulate as much of it as possible. But Jesus says you can't do that. It's not possible. You can work two jobs, but you can't have one job that has two different priorities. You can't tr take a package to, to Grand Rapids at the same time you're taking a package to Toronto, can you? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. When I was in Germany, <clears throat> I had two bosses. I was a solid line boss in Germany with a, a dotted line relationship to a boss in the U.S. And the first few months were fine. They were all good. I had the right priorities. I had the right stuff to do. Things were okay until a couple months later, things started diverging. Their priorities started to take different paths, and it got really stressful because I couldn't satisfy either one of them. And by the grace of God, a meeting between all three of us solved that problem where they got their differences or, uh, arranged and fixed and aligned and things went smoothly after that. But it was very stressful during the times where they were looking at it differently. It's not possible to serve two people. It's not possible to love one thing and serve another. It doesn't work. Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. Why is it bad to serve money? Because while money is a good resource, it makes a bad God. We must never worship it. Because it can't do anything for you. You don't pray to money. You pray to God. 
That's why we must never serve one master while loving the other. We must choose this day whom we will serve. You know, the great theologian Bob Dylan wrote a song entitled, Gotta Serve Somebody. And the lyrics go like this. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion or you might live in a dome. You might own guns and you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. And at the end he says, but, you gotta, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. If Bob Dylan can figure it out, I'm sure you and I can figure it out, can't we? You're going to have to choose. Joshua, at the end of his life, said, Choose whom you will serve this day. And what did he say? As for me and my house, we will serve the, the Lord. Whom will you choose? You must choose this day. Whether you're going to serve God, who's eternal and everlasting, or if you're going to choose money that's here today and gone tomorrow. Choose this day whom you will serve. The point is very simple. Nothing I've said is earth-shattering. It's not mysterious. And yet it's very, very hard for you and me to accept in this materialistic, affluent society that you and I live in. Whom will we serve? Jesus says, you have the choice of serving the temporal, fading, corrodible God of money or the incorruptible, sovereign, omnipotent God of the universe. Don't lie to ourselves. Let's not lie to ourselves. We can't serve both. You can only serve one. The good news is that Christ has given, has come to give us new life. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, it all starts with Him. Maybe you're still in darkness. Maybe you're still finding yourself longing to buy more stuff and have more stuff because you think that'll make you happy. But if you really think about it, it doesn't, does it? Because what you buy today is obsolete tomorrow. And having more stuff just means more stuff to take care of and more stuff to worry about. But Jesus never fails. Jesus never fades. He's never different. He's always relevant. He is the same yesterday. He's the same today. And he will always be the same forever. Choose whom you will serve today. So can I ask you as I close, how are we doing with our financial investments are we serving God and investing for heaven? Or has all of our time been spent investing here? I hope and pray that you will choose whom you will serve today. That you will serve God and make the time to invest in people. It's tax time. I hope you've done your taxes or you're doing your taxes. You can simply look at what you've been spending your money on as a test for how well your investments are doing. Have you been investing in people or are you investing in yourself? Do what you can now with the time that you have now to invest in what God has told you is of eternal and better and lasting value. I hope and pray you'll make the right choice. Father in heaven, thank you so much for <clears throat> this morning. Thank you for your eternal word that is settled in heaven. I pray that every one of us would choose wisely today, that we would serve you and that we would invest in the lives of people, the people that you've put in our lives that our eyes would be open to the heartbreaks and the sorrows and the needs of those around us, that we would be at the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing mercy and grace, using our resources and our time to bless the people that you put into our lives. Father, thank you for this generous church, a church who loves you, a church who is willing to give to you, 
pray that those here who don't know you would come to know you through the faithful lives of, of, of the believers here. Father, we pray for Pastor Billy. Pray that you would heal him and encourage him and strengthen him to bring him back on his, put him back on his feet so that he can continue to be the shepherd that you've called him to. Pray for every other person who is sick here or those who couldn't come because of, of health issues. Pray that your healing hands would uh, be placed upon them and that they would be raised up to worship you with strength and with vigor and with energy. Father, even as we sing this last song, we pray that you would help us to dedicate our lives to focus our attention on you the author and the finisher of our faith. That as we focus on you, we know that everything around us will grow dim in the light of the grace of God. We'll be careful to give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.